review podcast. For the second time, we are starting the recording. Hi, Anthony's a dumb dumb. I am a dumb dumb. I am a dumb dumb. Um, hi, welcome to the review podcast, podcast in which we review movies, and then we review movies. True that. True that. We review movies. We pick a movie. One of us has seen at least one time, and then we watch it. And we talk about it. And sometimes we have really hot takes, like with Magnolia, when Bree said, I think it's a bad movie. I stand by I stand by it. It's a bad movie. It's a bad movie. This the one we just watched, I didn't like it, but I didn't think it was a bad movie. So sometimes we have hot takes like that. Other times, uh sometimes we we just talk about the movie. We maybe add a little bit more to the discussion, the conversation about the movie. Sometimes we reiterate things that have already been discussed about the movie. However, um, it's an opportunity for us to just chat, right, Bream? Yeah, right, I love Bream. chatting with you. Yeah, just chatting. Just chat. A bunch of chatty Cathy's here. Um, you know me. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> um, so, anyway, uh, welcome to the Review Podcast. Uh, it's been a little while, Bree. It's been a little while since we've uh, sat down in the booth and we've pumped out one of these podcasts. Yeah, a lot's happened since we last recorded. Um I went to the emergency room for unexplained um, pain, mi- mystery, mystery reason. illness. So I'm, I have to wait till m- late June to figure out to even see a doctor to figure out for the sake what of our, it is. Uh, of the uh, well-being of our couple of listeners that are here with us. Uh, you're okay. Oh uh, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm 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 alive, and that's nothing. It's n- nothing deadly, you know, that we know of yet. That we know of. I, I doubt it. I doubt it. We've had this discussion. I doubt it's anything bad. Um, it's probably just like a... A bout of sickness. A bout of sickness, yeah. We'll um, put it as vaguely as that. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to like go into it. Right. Um, um, something exciting happened for both of us. Yes. I graduated Woo. with my master's degree. Woo. And Anthony won an Excellence in Education Award or Teacher of the Year. Affectionately known at our school as Teacher of the Year. However, the official name is Excellence in Education Award. Um, in my short tenure, my short career as a teacher, uh, having like getting that award is uh, kind of you know uh, an accomplishment. It's I, a big I su- deal. I suppose. Um, I'm very happy. I'm very proud. I'm very appreciative of all the opportunities that have come my way. Um, from the school that I work at and the people that I work with. So we're very proud of you here. Oh, I took him to the Cheesecake Factory and I tr- said, Tree yourself. We got an appetizer. Both of us got entrees and we ordered a dessert to take home. So we really, we lushed she- out at the Cheesecake Factory. And uh, I was playing uh, the beginning minute of Child's Play by Drake, where he says, Why you got to fight with me at Cheesecake? We did. Oh, my gosh. We did not fight at Cheesecake. We did though. not fight at Cheesecake, but we had a really good Cheesecake. Okay, so... That was a really good I gotta talk about our cheese- Cheesecake meal. Um, we got the calamari. Fried calamari. Which... For whatever reason, so good. So good. The only thing that could make that calamari better is if they served it with marinara sauce instead of the weird two sauces they served it with they served it with a tartar sauce and a cocktail sauce i was like a tartar sauce is a good idea i was like but no one's eating it with a i think they breaded the calamari with the same breading they would use on like a chicken tender it was so good which made it delicious it was so good like 
it was that was really good. And then Anthony got the chicken Riesling, mm-hmm. and I got the um, what is it called? Chicken and noodles. But the chicken Bellagio, which yeah. is the best chicken on their menu. Okay, it's so good. And then we took a what is the chocolate something? Chocolate mousse. Chocolate mousse cheesecake home. And we were so stuffed at the restaurant. We took the cheesecake home. But then, like, we got gobbled home. Gobbled it up. And we gobbled it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it was a really fun, like, way to celebrate his accomplishments. And I'm very proud of him. We're both working super hard. This was a good year. We've had a good year. Yeah, we were talking about this at dinner. Um, in the past, like, school year. Let's say from August to right now as we're both. I'm I'm done with the school year. But I'm you not. have another week or so. Um, we've had a pretty good year, you know, from August to right now, uh, let's think of like some of the stuff that, that we've done, you know, we've done some wedding planning, we've gotten our payments together. Um, we got Kaido and we've trained Kaido as much as we can. He just celebrated his one year birthday, um, on May 25th. So, uh, it's pretty been a good year. We both are having some great accomplishments, winning awards, graduating with masters. I'm finishing up my master's program pretty soon. So high five, Brie, I think, uh, across our table. <laughs> I, I barely read. <laughs> yeah. Um, high five, high five. Good job. Good job all around. Pats on the backs all around. Great. Um, what else? What else, Brie? What else has been going on? Hosted a party yesterday oh that was fun um kaido's first birthday party um my so my i have two sisters who have a dog um so they brought their dogs and then my parents brought their dog and so our dog was just like having the best time of his life everyone got him a gift and so he has a ton of toys now that are like tough toys so he won't destroy them he needs that on like quite honestly he needs that um because he just absolutely tears apart. We we get him a bark box every month. And he pay. chooses one toy to destroy <laughs> and one toy to keep every month. And I we don't every know month. which one he's going to destroy. Yeah, sometimes he destroys both, but most likely it's one or the other. We gave him this past month's bark box which was like ice cream themed. It was an ice cream melted ice cream cone and then the other one was choco doggo yeah it was a choco taco the ice cream died within the first like, it was like hour. hour an hour and then the choco doggo is has lasted a, like a week or so yeah so i think far. i think it's gonna survive i think it's gonna survive honestly. it's gonna be like the first black box we ever got him was a uh wwe one and it came with like the rock it was like a rock hand puppet and there was a, there's a microphone a microphone and a chair with a, and face a chair on it. the chair survived the chair survived the microphone survived till a, like a month or so ago it lasted a while that was i was the most disappointed i but think we have when, a backup but we haven't we, given him the backup we haven't yet. given him the backup until he's done i said don't give him the new toy until we're done with the destructive phase which could be a little while but um I was most disappointed at the destruction of the microphone because it's literally like a w a, a toy WW microphone, and the replacement is like huge. Yeah, so I would uh, I would put the microphone up to my mouth and go, Kaido, what do you think about the allegations? And then put the <laughs> microphone by his mouth to get an answer. And we'd always play like that uh, until he destroyed it, 
and we couldn't play anymore. So thanks, Kaido. I don't like to tell Anthony when Kaido destroys something because I know Anthony's going to get disappointed. Yeah. And I just don't want... I don't want Kaido to feel Anthony's disappointment. I want to shield him from that because I'm his mommy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, it's been a pretty good past few weeks since we've last recorded. Um, Eventful, to yeah, say the yeah, least. Yeah, to say the least. Uh, we've got some home renovation stuff that we're doing this summer, trying to get some, some stuff fixed, unfortunately. Um, we've got a little bit of a... a foundational thing that needs to be repaired in our house so we've got a we got people coming out for that we got to pay for that but hopefully like that fixes the issue like a hundred percent that'll be a story for another day though um cool so yeah uh i don't know man do you have anything else that you want to you want to discuss here i think we're it was eventful but like not a lot of detail in our events yes (laughs) (laughs) that's really what it is i mean like we've had some some good times and i'm sure like as we go through um this summer like i'm working anthony's not working i'm taking classes he's taking a class in july i'm working all of june we're gearing up for our wedding in october so like we're gonna be super busy and i'm sure you're gonna hear how busy we are on the pod as we go forward i'm i mean Anthony's a lot less stressed than I am because I'm like planning this whole wedding by myself. Um, <laughs> you just tell me what's where to make the payments, and I make the payments. I know, but like, there's so much more than just making payments, <laughs> well, especially she, okay, when we're so, paying for things evenly. Well, here's the thing: you come up to me with like a bunch of different templates for designs for like wedding invitations, and I'm like, just choose one, whatever one you like the most. I've and I'll picked be okay one. With I've it. picked one. It's yeah. gonna be a. It's gonna look like a Ouija board. That's cool. See, I'm okay with that. And the the RSVP is a like a postcard, so you can tear it off, and we can go to the post office and get the postcard um, stamps, which are like ten cents cheaper than regular stamps. Mm-hmm. So it will save us money in the long run because we buy like a ton of stamps. Oh yeah. Um, in other news, uh, you know, we haven't done anything Star Wars related on the podcast uh, yet. However, Bree and I are both like really big Star Wars fans and we over quarantine binged the entirety of Star Wars from chron- chronologically from start to finish. Including, so, including the Clone Wars. Clone Wars, Rebels. Yeah, yeah. Including all that stuff, which people give Rebels a lot of crap. Loved rebels like clone wars is obviously a top tier but rebels like the later seasons when they start like doing more with the canon oh my god it's so good (laughs) and i i say that and i bring that up because we recently watched the first two episodes of the obi-wan kenobi um series which we've been really excited excited to see where it goes like anthony and i we have like a cosplay planned but we just haven't like set into motion. I own both of Ahsoka Tano's like lightsabers, yeah. and I want to do a cosplay as Ahsoka Tano, but like it's gonna take a lot of work. And of course, Anthony's has to go as like Anakin. Anakin. Yeah. It, but it's like Which I think I can pull an Obi Wan now that I cut my hair. I can pull an Obi Wan right now. It wouldn't be as meaningful, or maybe I'll go Darth Maul. 
Yeah, that would be fun, wouldn't it? Or maybe I can go as uh, Rex and just have the helmet on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I it's it will be fun when we can go to like a con again. We're, we could go uh, this year, but I think is we'll be really busy, and I don't think we'll have time. We usually go to the local convention. But the way that they set it up this year, like, I feel like we were just there not too long ago, like, in December. So the next one's in August because they're trying to make up for everything because of COVID. Because they had to delay and now they're trying to get back on schedule. So I don't think we're going to go to the next one. I feel like we're, like, we did it just recently so it's not even that it's it's in august and we have a lot of stuff going on like we have two weddings to go to we have um our my bridal shower we have like a lot of things going on so it's gonna be just too much with everything going on and we're paying for a lot right now and to put together two cosplays in time for the con i would have to start now one of these days my parlays are gonna hit Okay, one he of says these days, all the time. One of these days. Okay, Anthony, I'm going to punch you, which leads us into what are we reviewing today? The movie we are discussing today, Brie, is Paul Thomas Anderson's 2002 film, Punch Drunk Love. And just like Paul Thomas Anderson challenged himself to keep a movie under 90 minutes uh, or around 90 minutes, I feel like we should do the same for the podcast. Oh, yeah. Well, we already like shot the shit for so long that we, we normally, have to yeah, we normally this down. <laughs> take about 15, 20 minutes to shoot the shit on the podcast. Um, hey, man, we're challenging ourselves just like PTA did. And he was successful. Punch Drunk Love made in released in 2000. Well, actually made within like a two year span because of uh, consistent delays and writer strikes uh, between the years of 1999 and 2002. Uh, released in 2002, starring Adam Sandler. Um, I don't know. I don't know the female lead's name. I didn't do that research. Someone's gonna kill me for <laughs> not knowing. <laughs> uh, oh, oh God! Uh, let me Google it real quick. Bree, keep the people. So occupied. we watched this movie, and you know, I've hated every Paul Thomas Anderson movie we've watched. You liked Boogie Nights. It was okay. So I went into this. Anthony's like, you're really going to like this. I think you're really going to like this. Emily Watson starring Adam Sandler and Emily Watson, Philip Seymour Hoffman. And you know what? I didn't really like it. (laughs) Listen, I get, you know, the director is not for you. I think, and I told you what I think the problem is. What's the problem? The cast just is too old. Wait until we get to our fourth movie, which I'm not going to spoil it right um, now. I'm going to be honest. Like, I don't have any... I guess maybe when I'm older, I'll understand. I don't have any connection to these, like, old people. I get that. Um, but anyway, uh, we'll, we'll get into it more when we go into uh, the movie Beat by Beat or Character by Character, which I think would be an interesting way to go. There's only one character. Well, there's a, it, it's not a large ensemble <laughs> cast like the other couple of movies have been. However, uh, the movie was made on a $25 million budget. It released in 2002. It did not make its money back. It made $24.7 million. Not make its money back. Um, Somewhat of critical acclaim. Not as acclaimed as PTA's past movies have been. Um, However, hot take. I'm going to do a hot take right here. I'm going to say this is one of his better ones. If not his best. Probably my favorite of 
the movies that he's done. I love Boogie Nights, but probably my favorite PTA movie. Um, not only that we're going to cover on the pod, but that he's made that I've seen because I haven't seen them all. Um, I think it, it it's simple. It's such a it's a simple movie, but also it's like, how do we take a romantic com a ninety minute romantic comedy? And bring it to the art house. How do we take an Adam Sandler movie and bring it to the art house? You know, because at the heart of this thing, Adam Sandler's playing the same character he always plays. It's just, I think uh, Paul Thomas Anderson got the direct, like his direction got a lot out of that Sandler performance. Where it's 2002, we're at the height of Sandler mainstream comedy. Which we're going to get into Sandler mainstream comedy in a, a few weeks when we get into our actor series. But we're at the height of Adam Sandler mainstream comedies and he hasn't had a chance to really shine and, and be an actor, right? He's just a comedian. He's on SNL. He's doing Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore. And Paul Thomas Anderson takes a risk here and casts Adam Sandler in this movie, which he actually kind of wrote for Adam Sandler. And Roger Ebert had said... I think it was Ebert in the reviews had said, this is an art house Adam Sandler film. This is basically the same character that he's been playing all the time. This like lovable, uh, neurotic kind of loser character that is also very endearing. Um, and what PTA does is he takes the traditional Sandler performance and he dials it down because Sandler's always at an 11. Like, goo! <laughs> He's always making noises, always yelling and being animated character. And he takes the essence of those Sandler, like, endearing characters and tones it down a little bit. Where Sandler gives a very nuanced, very, like, uh, 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 detailed performance in this movie. And it's really impressive, especially like if I was in 2002 and I was watching this for the first time, I'm like, what the fuck? Adam Sandler in a dramedy? Come on. Um, but I think, I think it's, it's very good. And, um, I, I don't know where I went on a rant. I don't know where I was going with this. So what know, did you, you think? You what did just, you think? Um, I general thought thoughts. my general thoughts is I didn't like it, but it was a good movie. Mm -hmm. To me, this is like the quintessential, uh, the, uh, not that I don't want to say the quintessential romance movie, but this is Paul Thomas Anderson taking a romantic comedy and twisting it on its head a little bit, bringing it to the art house and also saying everything you knew about romantic comedies, we're going to elevate it a little bit. So I think the, the takeaway our viewers can get from this is Anthony really likes art house movies and I like to watch things that make me happy. This movie didn't make you happy? You didn't no. get a feel-good... Uh, no. Why this not? This is not a feel-good movie. You don't think? No. Give me your perspective. This was about a, a man who has obvious anger issues, like f having a woman fall in love with him who obviously has attachment issues, because who falls in love with someone after, like, a week and, like, a date? So it's obviously too like weirdos <laughs> they're unconventional they're characters like these aren't real people and i think we're supposed to acknowledge that like even in the dialogue of what these characters say to each other like do you remember the scene where barry and lena 
meet because Barry's sister is coming into his work and she says like the line she's like do you want to go out to dinner uh, she, she was asking him if they want if he wanted to join them for dinner and it, everything is very fast paced and she's like we're going to go out to dinner you want to join us for dinner come on it's, let's go to dinner. breakfast oh it's breakfast oh okay sorry um but it's like this is not the way normal human beings talk and i don't think that it's supposed to be because i think like at the heart of this movie it, it, it's a character study of barry egan and it's a it's a study of can we put ourselves in the shoes of this guy? Can we feel what this guy is feeling? Can we? Can the movie emulate what's going on in this guy's head right now? And I think that these very fast-paced conversations that are going on right now, where it feels like they're not stopping in between sentences, and I felt over very overwhelmed, like exactly. while I'm watching this movie. I think that you're supposed to feel overwhelmed watching this movie. Um, I love it. I love it so much. I think there's so much to talk to here about this movie. Um, I understand, like, where you're coming from, I suppose, with why you didn't like it. Because you didn't necessarily have a connection to the characters. But can I ask you a question? Sure. Did you feel as though you were in Barry's shoes? No. Throughout the movie? No? Like, okay. Can I break it down for you? No. Please? <laughs> Fine. Okay. Um... Everything that you were saying that, like, overwhelmed you about the movie, I think we're, this is a strategic move by Paul Thomas Anderson as a way to make us feel what Barry is feeling in those moments when everything is so chaotic around Barry. Like, do you remember the scene where, I think it's, it is a continuation of the scene that we were just talking about with, they were asking him if he wanted to go to breakfast. Mm -hmm. And... The music is like kind of neurotic and, and crazy. And it's actually kind of like at least our streaming of the movie, it seemed like the music was louder than the dialogue a little bit. And the it was kind of like to I know what they were trying to do. They were trying to make us feel like we were Barry. Because if you like it's loud, everything's going on at once, you're supposed to to get a feeling of why he feels so overwhelmed. I guess I just didn't think the character was relatable. And maybe that's where I'm coming from. Maybe. And it goes back into like this conversation of. Are, do we necessarily have to like our main character? I don't think so. No. I've talked to you about this before. Um, when I was in high school, I watched a movie called Young Adult with Charlize Theron. Because it was like, uh, there was rumor uh, that it was going to be like Oscar nominated or whatever. And I liked Juno and Diablo Cody, who did Juno, did this movie. And I watched Young Adult and I walked out of that like viewing of the movie and I just said, man, I just really fucking hate this character. Like I, cu I couldn't get into the movie because I didn't like the character. But that didn't mean the movie was bad bad necessarily you're not i don't think you were supposed to like her character i don't think your character was supposed to be relatable or likable um and it's been a while since i've seen young adult but maybe that's worth a review in the future um but I, I, there's, there's a wider conversation here of like do we necessarily need to like our main character to be able to understand them and to be able to uh empathize i guess with them I mean, I don't think you have to like your main character. I was, but it's not that I don't like the main character. It's that I just didn't like the movie. 
because I felt it was like not it was not my cup of tea. But I can recognize and acknowledge that it is a good movie. That's fair. Unlike Magnolia, that stunk horribly. Worst movie I've ever seen with my eyeballs. Get out of here. Worst movie you've ever seen. Name a movie you've seen that's worse. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a hot take here because I know a lot of people like this movie Splice. I don't I know I never liked it. I've seen it once. Splice. Yeah. Yeah. I hated it. I thought it was weird. I ha- absolutely hated it. For me, that's the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. I've seen some pretty terrible movies, but I'm like, man, if I had to choose between like. You know what movie I really didn't like? What? Uh, I really didn't like... What is that movie called? Oh, God. Here we go. Oh, my brain. What's, what's it about? Uh, what? Are you going to say I didn't like a movie and then not describe uh, what okay. it is? Okay. I, I can't think of it. But well, if okay, I had yeah, a choice... Be- I had a choice between the movie we... Like Magnolia and a movie I despise, I would watch the movie I despise over Magnolia again. You're insane. You're absolutely insane. Magnolia. To a Magnolia is. It was so, it's too long. T- it's not palatable. It's it was tough too to digest. Long. Too long. Oh yeah, I agree. I agree. Too long. Everyone sucked. If I never saw Magnolia again, I would be content. But that doesn't mean it's the worst movie I've, the ever, worst seen. movie I've ever seen. I. I just don't like watching long movies like back to back to back. Um, I felt that way about the Snyder Cut Justice League. Oh, it's I would like, never I w- watch. I'll that never again. watch the Snyder Cut again. I don't feel like I need to. It's four hours long. I don't have the time for that. Um, but with Punch Drunk Love, uh, changing gears here and going back to Punch Drunk Love, I feel like this movie is definitely m- more palatable than. Magnolia, even Boogie Nights, I would say, more palatable than Boogie I Nights. Mean, it was, Do you think the runtime made it more palatable? Yeah, when you told me that it was almost over, I kind of like went, yippee! We were like 40 minutes in, and I was like, we're almost done. I was like, yippee! yippee. But it felt, it didn't feel like, a, a, you know, We paused, a, a and movie. like, my mom made a trifle yesterday, so I was eating trifle while watching and having my coffee. I was like, content. Mm-hmm. So let's get into this movie. I really want to dissect Barry and we'll get into it. Okay, let's get into it then. Okay, so I don't know. Do you want to go through this beat by beat? Because it's a very simple It's story. very simple. We got, we were introduced to Barry or Adam Sandler's character. Um, he's quiet. He's, he's quiet. So he walks out of what I would assume is a rented a storage space, which he runs his business ne- out of. Next to a mechanics shop. Yeah, so... And he walks outside to, like, drink his coffee. He looks into the road, and there's a car, like, that, like, flips over. And a cab pulls up and drops off, what is it, a harmonium? Harmonium. Yeah, it's like a small piano. And that's kind of, like, our opening. And sometimes, I told Bree this while we were watching the movie. I said, Paul Thomas Anderson makes me feel like I'm too dumb. I think I know what the blue and red mean. Oh, go on. Okay, so... This is something I, I've i been struggling with some of the stuff. Like, I don't know the significance of the harmonium. And I've been trying to wrap my mind around it. And I, like, can't figure out a significance for the harmonium. And because it's just such a random addition to... I, I mean, we even have scenes of Barry, like, trying to fix it and trying to play it. Um, so I'm not quite sure about what the harmonium signifies. 
but then you know I, I think what I appreciate a lot about this movie is the how Paul Thomas Anderson plays around with lighting. I also think I know what the harmonium means. And, oh God, please tell me. <laughs> I just um, have a bigger brain. Oh, uh, that's why I feel like when I watch these movies, like I'm dumb because I can't wrap my mind around it. And I love it, but I like it's tough for me to explain why I love it. Um, so he plays around with lighting a lot. The use of natural lighting versus artificial lighting the use of lens flares to signify things and i do know kind of what the lighting is about um brighter here in certain places than there in certain places um and then we get a contrast between red and blue throughout the movie um even in the beginning and in different spurts of the movie where we see these like abstract colors and designs that you know, are intercut with some of the scenes that kind of merge the red and the blue. Uh, uh, but we see in in somewhat of a dull world, a uh, very gray world, Barry is always in blue and Lena is almost always in red or purple. So here's my, th here's go, my, yeah, please here's tell my me. theory. Well, go with the harmonium first. Well, the colors and the harmonium go together. Okay. Okay. So in the beginning, what color is the car that flips over? Is it red? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Okay, so I... And then what colors? Mm -hmm. What color is the cab? The cab is red. The cab is red. Yeah. Um, who drops off the harmonium? Whoever's in the cab. The red cab. Okay. Who wears red? Lena. Lena. The red represents her coming into his life. The okay. harmonium represents their connection. Oh, and almost because she asked him about the harmonium, and that's how they first get started. In every scene with the harmonium and them, it's juxtaposed between them. Oh, that's so interesting! Like so, I never like, considered that. I think the red is supposed to symbolize, especially in the beginning, that he's going to go through a change, and like this is the person who's going to like ruffle up his life, and it's going to be love, and yeah. and it's going to be harmonious. And I think when we are introduced to Barry we see him poised again like especially where the camera like, the camera is a big part of this movie as well um but when we are introduced to Barry he's in like this storage space at this desk and the camera is positioned pretty far away from him at first and he's surrounded by blue paint around the walls too he's wearing this blue suit and I think like the blue is definitely supposed to symbolize him, like on a surface level, supposed to symbolize I'm him. I'm supposed but to I think see like it's dull, and then as soon as she comes into it, it starts life, brightening it... up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. So I think like the blue is uh, he he's this kind of like watered down, calmer version of himself until he's not right, and like the more addition of the red in his life, and the more addition of the red that we see come into play he starts losing it a little bit more, right? Like he starts getting a little bit more anxious. He starts taking what he is presenting, this mask of Barry that is being presented to his colleagues, his family, his um, uh, clients on the phone. This mask of Barry starts to shed a little bit more and he starts to, you know, be okay with himself and like accept himself and that's the change that we see through this character is when we're introduced to barry he's like a very depressed like he's very awkward de but like the way he talks to people is like almost like he's putting on a show 
like he's not he's trying not to let people in you know he's trying not to be vulnerable but when lena is introduced to him he starts letting his guard down a bit more especially when he accepts the love right like when he accepts the relationship he starts opening up to her a bit more and he starts being honest with her because at the throughout this entire movie barry is consistently making excuses for like why he can't do things i can't come to the park i can't come to the the party because i have uh i have to renew my gym membership he i think he just doesn't want to go hang out with his sisters because their family sucks because they're always trying to fix him they're trying to they want well, him they're to also be, like making fun of i him. think they want him to be normal and i don't think that's the sibling they have and like they're very judgmental why do you think he has seven sisters are they all older i have to assume that they're all older because mom and dad wanted to try until they got the boy maybe maybe that's usually and they all look the same i'll be honest <laughs> that's usually how it goes it's either a ton of boys in a family and then the youngest is a girl or it's a ton of girls and the youngest is a boy there's a theory i read online where it was like i I don't know the significance of the seven why there's seven siblings but the reason like they all kind of look like each other is somebody online was saying that's how we're supposed to we're supposed to be looking at them through barry's eyes and barry kind of sees them all as like the same person <laughs> essentially they're all bothersome to him i think okay so as we get through it because we we kind of skipped around a little oh, bit. oh yeah we've been talking about the character um, more when lena first is introduced we don't know this is the girl his sister wants to to set him up with she randomly leaves her car with a random stranger that i thought was weird until we find out that lena was this person his sister wanted to hook mm-hmm. him up with because then she was already probably told who he was and right. saw a picture of him so she probably was okay with leaving her car with him if i was him i'd be like no i'm not being in charge of your car like that's too much for me mm-hmm. no thank you i don't think he cares too much paul thomas anderson does this thing too and I have no idea what the significant... Again, it makes me feel dumb because like I can't figure it out for the life of me why he does this. I have theories, but it's like, I don't know. And I, as we've been watching these PTA movies kind of back to back to back, I've noticed this thing that he does where the camera always follows people from the back. Like we see the back of people's heads and it follows people. And I'm not exactly sure why he keeps doing that or why that's, like, a significant part of his style. But if you notice, like, when he does do that camera movement, it's a long, like, one-shot take. And we brought this up in Magnolia. Why, like, maybe the studio should have gotten involved in Magnolia a little bit more because you you had to limit on how long a scene goes. I think PTA likes to stick with the characters in their most vulnerable moments. And he likes to not cut away from whatever kind of situations the characters are going through. So, like, later in the movie, a little bit later than where we're talking about, Barry calls a phone sex operator. And, first of all, you never give anyone your social security card number ever and he's like gives it to them and i'm like right away i know this is going to be a scam it's yeah. not just like and a we, normal well, phone sex before operator we, before we go into that scene in particular i want to talk about the camera in that scene because 
the camera follow that's a, almost a complete one-shot scene it's a pretty long scene where it just follows Barry back and forth as he's on the phone with these people and the camera PTA does this interesting thing with the camera in this movie that I think is supposed it's a well-done tactic that's supposed to get us to identify a little bit more with Barry and to kind of get in his shoes and in his head he switches consistently from a dolly to or like a stationary camera to a handheld movement of the camera and um i i was reading online about like a theory of why he because i noticed it uh in certain scenes it's like in the middle of scenes he'll do this where one shot will be like uh stationary and then it'll immediately like the next cut will be a shot that's handheld and moving and kind of chaotic and uh Somebody online, as I was reading like other people's theories about the movie, had an interesting idea about it where they said it's supposed to show Barry when he's in control of the situation and when he's out of control in mm-hmm. the situation. So like when the camera is stationary, Barry is in control. Barry knows what he's doing and he's not vulnerable. But when the camera moves to a handheld like shaky cam movement... Barry is completely not in control or he's very uncomfortable at what's going on. So like he PTA does that in the middle of scenes. Like when he's talking to Lena, for example, it'll move from like when Lena asks him an uncomfortable question that he has to lie about initially, it'll move from steady cam to shaky cam. And I thought that that was really interesting too. Like that's a cool tactic to, get us to feel what Barry is feeling at that moment the chaos and the uh neuroticism I guess. and I, I feel like there's a lot wrong with Barry I wrote down all like the crazy stuff he does like okay yeah well we can get into the, let's go back to okay, where we left off back. I love these Paul Thomas Anderson movies because we kind of derail a lot <laughs> <laughs> we don't stick to like the beat by beat um so where do we leave off uh Lena Lena asked him to watch the car Yes, and when we get the sister, the one sister coming in, wanting to take him to breakfast, he's like, I don't want to go. And he ends up not going. He, he holds his ground, even though, like, when Lena comes back and just No, they ask- start asking him about the party. They start calling him while he's at work, and he gets called, like, four different times well, by different that, sisters. That's before the breakfast scene. Yes. Breakfast scene happens after the party. Yes. So when he they keep bothering him about the party, he finally goes to the party and he like goes in and out of the door uh, several times because like he doesn't want to be there. And then like his sisters keep pestering him, calling him. <laughs> like remember when we used to call you gay boy? And he's like, no, I, oh, yeah, you know, I guess so. he gets so frustrated. He's like uncomfortable, like visibly uncomfortable. Like he does not want to be in the situation with his sisters. And they're like, remember when Barry threw a hammer through the window? And no, and he Barry does. refuses to take responsibility for it. And then he breaks three glass, like, like ceiling to floor windows. Everything that leads up to that moment, though, is like, I don't know how you felt watching it, but I, as the viewer, especially during this rewatch. I, like, felt the tension building and oh, building yeah. and building. They wanted you to, to it that to be, like, he goes and he goes and he goes until he snaps. Yes, because it's, like, the mix of everything that happened to Barry that morning with the car flipping over, the piano, to his interactions with Luis Guzman's character, his, his uh, like, right-hand man at his company, to 
him being in business meetings and like trying to sell his product and consistently getting interrupted by phone calls of his sisters asking him the same exact questions. Like I was watching that and I was thinking he's going to lose it at some point. Like they're pestering him and pestering him and pestering him. And this is a character that is so obvious. He's like, I already told you I was coming. Like stop bothering me. But that's, I guess that's what happens when you have seven (laughs) other siblings that they are, they all ask the same questions. Right. But I felt like it was tension building. And at this point, we don't know that Barry has anger issues. But something like that that watershed moment was going to happen at some point where it was all going to pour over. And so it does. He does break three ceiling to floor windows. And then we pick up with him like the next day. where his- No, well, he talks to... Um- Oh, he asks his brother-in-law. His brother-in-law is a dentist. And he's like, you're a doctor. Uh, Sometimes I cry. He's like, I have nobody to talk to. He's like, sometimes I'm depressed. And this is the first time Barry opens up to somebody. But what is he met with? Like, disregard, essentially. He's like, I'm not a psychiatrist. I can get you in touch with somebody. I don't want you to tell my sisters. Please don't tell my sisters. (laughs) And then his sisters call him the next day. It's like... Did you ask uh, my husband for a, a call to a psychiatrist? He's like, nah, I didn't. Because Bear, I think Barry, when he is uncomfortable, he refuses to take responsibility for things. Yeah. Which is a big theme in Paul Thomas Anderson's movies. If we go back to Magnolia and Boogie Nights, a lot of these characters are refusing personal responsibility. Um, and then we get, like, the one sister comes in with Lena and, like, we're going to go to breakfast. And he's like, I can't. I'm working. Mm-hmm. And, but when Lena comes back by herself, she, and asks him to dinner, he accepts. It's, it's the sisters taking yeah. him out of, like, he's but working. He, and he's never, like, honest with the sisters. He never sticks up for himself. He never, um, like, tells them he he's never forceful enough with them to get them to stop and it's when he is introduced to Lena and they start having a private conversation however a bunch of fuck shit's happening in the background where like um the boxes are falling down and people are getting hurt in his com- in his business but he's trying to have this conversation with her it's very chaotic and Barry um again is like uh making excuses for things where he's like she's like i'll be in hawaii and she kind of like throws that uh little thing about you know if you're gonna be in hawaii and he goes well i could be in hawaii but something something has to happen in order for me to be able to go and if that thing doesn't happen then i can't go but if it does happen then i will be able to go and he's like making excuses and rambling about it meanwhile barry is also trying to take advantage of a promotional deal with healthy choice foods where he finds out like so if you purchase this much you get like 500 frequent flyer miles yeah he finds they're trying to push want their like frozen food and it's like a dollar something a box it's like a dollar 50 and it's a promotion to push that but it's with all the healthy choice stuff he's like this that's a dollar something. The soup is like 70 cents. But the puddings, 
it's like 50 cents per cup. Uh, 25 cents 25 per cup. 25% cents per cup. So you get like a dollar. But, they, but each cup yeah. has an individual barcode, which counts towards the 10 items. So you really just need to buy like... He's like a dollar or $2.50 worth of pudding. And, and that so, gives you the, the 500 miles. So he's like trying to buy a bunch of pudding so that he can get like a million and they they keep asking him like are you gonna go anywhere and he's like no he's like but i'm just he's like i want him which is a weird thing to do um but that comes into play a little bit later in the movie so lena comes back and she asks barry out to dinner and barry accepts barry says yes i'll go so they're at dinner and it's very inter- it's shot very interesting like the the scene with the dinner because the way that it's framed initially like when they start their conversation at the dinner i notice that it's over the shoulder shots of each character as they're talking like a traditional dialogue scene would go right shot reverse shot but then once they start like vibing with each other a little bit and they start enjoying each other's company, that's where we get both of the characters in frame at the same time through their conversation. And this is where I think I, I love the movie so much because I think the movie does a very good job at eliciting like what it feels like to go on a first date, you know, like the awkwardness of meeting somebody for the first time. Or the craziness of falling in love for the first time. She's pointing at me. Bree's <laughs> pointing at me and dancing. <laughs> but I was thinking about it, and not to derail our conversation more from the movie, but what PTA is trying to do here is trying to make the viewer, A, be in the shoes of Barry as he's going through this like crazy life transition and he's falling in love and the craziness that goes on with it but also kind of reflect it back on the viewer and make them think of how it feels to fall in love, especially if you've had that feeling before. Where it's like I, when we were watching the movie, I was thinking back to our first time meeting each other. Um, and like our first date at the dining center in college. Oh, yeah. How, it was, like, a little awkward. And it was awkward because Anthony went and got food at 8 o'clock at night when all the good food was gone, and I had waited to eat with him, so all my favorite food was gone. It was just pasta, hamburgers, and pizza. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's The first dates are always a little awkward, but then you get to moments, if the date's going successfully, you get to moments where it's, like, you can laugh with each other and you find commonalities and you find this connection that you have with the other person. And I think that's obviously uh, the our mo- day the movie worked out. Is, yes. The movie is successful at making you remember those moments. And uh, that's where I think we can relate to the situation and we can relate to Barry a bit more is Barry, what Barry is feeling in that moment of falling in love for the first time and being on a first date. And it's to somebody like Barry who has some awkwardness and he has, you know, some what I would assume is some mental health things going on. That's a scary thing and it can be chaotic and it causes him to kind of 
be unsettled. Yes, he does. <laughs> um, because during that dinner date, he like he gets. Like, they mention she mentions his sister in the hammer story, <laughs> and he gets like upset that like his sister is like. So he goes to the bathroom. He like destroys the bathroom. He like he absolutely destroys the bathroom out of a fit of rage. And though they're kicked out of, the and they're kicked out. <laughs> But, like, the conversation that Barry has with the owner of the restaurant where the guy's like, did you destroy that bathroom? And he goes, no. He's like, are you sure you didn't destroy the bathroom? Yes. And they have this conversation where Barry doesn't take responsibility for it, but then is like, don't do this to me. Don't kick me out of this place while I'm on this date. And he kind of does accept responsibility by the end of the conversation because he accepts the fact that he's getting kicked out and he knows why he's getting kicked out for it. It's like in our line of work, Bree, when a kid does something stupid and you want to discipline him or her, then you ask them, why do you think I'm mad about this? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Well, why do you think this is an issue? And you always like let them reflect on it and eventually they'll be like, well, I shouldn't have been I was know, like, I playing the, games on my computer. I have the teacher stare. Yeah. Um, I don't even need to say words. I just look and they're like okay i shouldn't have done that and i'm like yes yes sir i'm like i'm gonna k kick your booty cheeks mm -hmm. but i have a relationship with my class i don't know how your relationship with your class um i am their favorite person in the entire <laughs> in the entire world sometimes and it's because it's a little bit different it's in high different school. because they're kids and like i have kids who like won't leave me alone like are you gonna come to lunch with us no i don't come to lunch with you on this day are you gonna come to recess with us no i don't come to recess with you on this day can you no <laughs> <laughs> the answer no, is no the answer is no um but i have and i have kids who like cry when i leave or if i'm absent that's why i have one who gets to the point where he's really 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 upset if i'm not there so i let mom know if i'm gonna be absent um mm -hmm. so she if he she needs him to stay home if that would be more comfortable for him yeah um like the day i was in the hospital i was like oh i hope he doesn't come to school because and he didn't because he was feeling sick so i was like good thing he didn't come to school because he would have freaked out Mhm. Mm yeah where's my teacher like kind of like freak out right right um so back to the movie yeah, sorry, I went off on a tangent. Oh, it's okay. So Barry, we, we so Barry and Lena leave, but what I want to point out here in the movie are these scenes where we see lighting at play, and we see like the lens flares that happen, or bright lights shining down on them in certain uh, situations, and I do think that the bright light signifies Barry's transition in his character. Um, every time that we see these bright lights, whether it be like from a lamp or from a lens flare or from signs outside in California at night, it's always when Lena is around or Barry is starting to accept that love and accept that relationship. So I think the light signifies or the brightness and the lens flares signify Barry's change in, in growing more vulnerable and uh, being more open with Lena. 
Yeah, I would agree. So as we're getting this whole love story, mm -hmm. before he like gets into it with Lena is when he calls the he's lonely and he it was after he, just he wants left. to talk to somebody. Yeah, it was after he left his sister. So before he actually like really met Lena, um, and he calls a phone sex operator. And he just, like, wanted someone to talk to. He gave all his information. He thought, like, it was a one-time thing. He's done, you know. And then he gets a call at his work, and he's like, how did you get this well, the number? Whole, the, scene, the initial scene where he's talking to the phone sex operator is a one-shot camera movement where we follow Barry. And we see these this, like, intimate moment with him. Because, again, I think PTA doesn't want us to miss these moments with the characters. He wants the characters to be shown in their most vulnerable moments. Because, yeah, it was like just, uh, like, it was that night, a one-shot scene. We saw him go to bed. Like, obviously, he's done. he was done. He woke up. The phone sex operator called him again and then tried to get money from him. Mm -hmm. they're, they're trying to extort Barry. Yeah. And he falls into this thing when really all he wanted to do was talk to somebody. Like in the initial conversation with the phone sex operator, she's trying to get him to like have phone sex. And, and he's it. just like, no. <laughs> he's like, well, I, you know, I go to, I own my own business and I want to diversify and I want to expand. And he, he just wants somebody to talk to, which I think... Do you think, like, people really call phone sex lines just to talk? Yes. It's the same way some men will pick up escorts and not... Oh, like in Nathan for you? <laughs> and just talk. Yeah. That's why, uh, like, escorting is so popular and... People are lonely. Because people are lonely. Mm -hmm. It's like that professional cuddler kind of deal. Yeah, yeah. It's because people are lonely. It's not necessarily that need for, like, sex. It's that need for, like someone to listen when you talk because you don't right. have anyone to listen to you i was like it can be super isolating i kind of feel that in a way like i remember before we met when i got out of a long-term relationship the the worst part about it for me was like not having anybody to talk to anymore um so i completely understand like why people would just like want somebody to talk to if you're lonely I understand that. So it's interesting. A little interesting character study and dissection of Barry here. Anyway, moving forward, they're trying to extort him. The sex uh, phone sex operator company is trying to extort him for like $700 or something. And he keeps hanging up on them. He's like, no, 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 no. And they're like, Leave this me alone. is a big mistake. And they send four goons. From Utah from to Utah Los to Angeles. And... The first time they get him, they 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 grab him. They they get money at. He's like, I can only give you five hundred, and like they kind and he runs away like, from this them. This is what you get for being a pervert. It's like he runs away from them. And they're like, we know where you live, mm -hmm. and this is where his idea was. Like Lena goes to Hawaii, and he's like, I'm gonna buy all this pudding and I'm gonna go, but he doesn't realize it takes like six to eight weeks. And he kind of loses his shit on... And he goes crazy because he wants to go to Lena, but he also wants to get out of town. And he ends up spending his own money and flying to Hawaii. And he... No bags. He just goes. He just goes. Like, he, he just, like, tells no Luis Guzman... For, well, first of all, he's trying to buy all of this pudding. He buys more pudding with Luis Guzman. And he opens up a little bit. Uh, like... He tells I, him why he's doing it. Yes. He, he opens up to... Luis Guzman's character, why he's doing, doesn't seem like Luis Guzman cares, 
But I would care. If someone I'd be told like, me, I'm going to take advantage if of this. Someone now. told me what they were doing. I'd be like, dang, I should buy all this freaking pudding too. Yeah. But then it would be like the McDonald's monopoly fraud. But is it fraud if it's a marketing mistake? No, no. it's not. It's not. Um, so we see this these like little moments because he becomes incre- as Barry falls more in love. Like as he starts falling for Lena, he becomes increasingly more unstable. Like he's not able to keep that mask on that he's been keeping on. He's not able to be watered down anymore he's start not i wouldn't say starting to lose it but he sticks up for himself more he starts sticking up for himself he starts becoming more confident Uh, i mean sometimes he does lose it like when things don't go his way like when he gets to hawaii he calls his sister where's lena staying she's like why he's like just give me the goddamn number i'm gonna kill you (laughs) he's like no like (laughs) this conversation that he has with the sister is so like it's one of my favorite things in this movie because it's that moment where Barry is like finally sticking up for he's himself. He's had enough. Like, stop asking me. I just want the number. He's, give it to me. He's like, story. You can, he's like, you can't talk to me like this anymore. Just give me the number. Stop asking questions. I don't want to talk to you. And then he has a very nice time in Hawaii. He, well, okay, they kind so of like fall in love in Hawaii. There are so many good shots in the sequence where... Barry is going on the plane and there's this like almost perfectly composed shot of Barry walking into uh, like uh, the area where you're getting on the plane and it's illuminated by the bright light because he's moving towards the light, moving towards accepting his love for Lena. And then when he gets to Hawaii and he finally meets up with Lena, there's that really, really well composed shot of the silhouettes against the light when they embrace and he goes for the handshake and she immediately goes for the kiss. And then they start, you know, embracing while everybody is kind of passing them by. And it's just their silhouette against the natural light of Hawaii. Very cool. Very, very cool shot. And we get them, they fall in love Mm -hmm. and then like they go back to the real world. Well, they go, well, can we mention this one thing? Sure. So they go back to the hotel and uh, Sandler is with Lena and they start like talking about how cute each like she talks oh about how cute gosh. his face is he, and he talks about the dialogue how, is so weird here she talks about how cute his face is and he doesn't know how to like express like he yeah. also thinks her face is cute he's like i just want to smush it he's like i just want to smush it i want to eat your face and then and, like he basically says saying she wants to kiss him he's yeah and he takes it to a different <laughs> level where he's like i want to well, your face is so cute. I just want to beat it with I, a I wrote, sledgehammer. I wrote down the quote. He said, uh, I want to smash your face with a sledgehammer. And I was like, that's alarming. <laughs> it's like in the real world. Like, what if we were like in kind of this honeymoon phase of our like beginning would, of our relationship? And then him, I, I said like, that to you. I told him, I was like, you know, I probably wouldn't have said anything in the moment. I was like, but I don't think we'd hang out again. <laughs> right? Like, that's like, a, that is a alarming red flag <laughs> thing to say. I'd be like, stranger danger, stranger danger. But there's also this thing where, like, when Barry starts to open up to Lena a little bit more, he starts being honest with her. And he starts, like, not making excuses with her. At first, he tells her, I, he I came for clean. a business trip. Yeah, he comes clean and he's like... I just wanted to see you. Yeah, and she's, like, cool with it. Yeah, like, and then they get back. Well, and then there's, 
there's another thing that happens on their first date where when he's getting more comfortable with her, she asks him if he stole the, what is it called? The small piano? The name of it? The harmonium. The harmonium. She asks if he stole it and he said no. But then later on, he admits to her like the story about the harmonium and she's like cool with it. And once they get back to California... Um, California. Because she asked him, when we get back, can I go home with you? And he's like, yeah. And so they're driving to his place. And obviously the bad people are still there. And they hit the car. And he's fine until he looks over at Lena and her head is bleeding. He gets out of the car. The other people come out of the car. The, the, the goons. The goons come out of the car with like tire irons and Barry beats the shit out of all of them. <laughs> Barry punches the guy, takes the tire iron. And then beats them all with the tire iron. Smashes the windows of the pickup truck and then hands the tire iron to the guy hiding in the backseat of the pickup truck. And he truck. goes and takes Lena to the hospital. But he leaves the hospital because he's going to take care of the head guy of yeah. the phone sex well, Phil- Philip Seymour Hoffman plays the mattress man who is this guy in Utah who owns a mattress shop but also operates this like shady phone sex deal and sends the goons over to try to extort Barry. So when Barry calls uh, the phone sex operator to get again, his money back. he starts screaming at them and saying like, I'm going to find you like you're dead. He's uh, like, this is unfair. You owe me money. You owe me money. He's like, I'm going to get my money back. And she, she's like, he's like, I want to talk to your supervisor. And so she connects him to Philip Seymour Hoffman. They have this interesting exchange on the phone where, like, Philip Seymour Hoffman, he's, his character is interesting because, like, he's so trying to play it cool. And he's trying to play it like, I'm tough and I'm the head and I've got to, like, handle this situation. But you can see that he becomes kind of unstable on that cell phone on that phone call too because when barry starts screaming at him because like he's like so close to being found out and he could go to jail so when barry shows up well okay back back it up for a second so when barry starts screaming at him see philip seymour hoffman's character starts just saying shut up over and over again because he doesn't know how to respond to barry so uh then he's like you know what you're dead He's like, uh, he threatens Barry again. So Barry just says, screw it. And with the phone in his hand still makes his way down to Utah to the mattress place. And he doesn't do anything violent. He just like threatens him. He finds the mattress man and he's like, we're done. He's like, tell me that's that. And Philip Seymour Hoffman's like, did you call the cops? He goes, no. All right, that's that. <laughs> because Sandler goes, he's like, if uh, he's like, if you don't say that's that, I'm going to like basically kill you. <laughs> and I think that that character, like Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, at that point is just like so astounded. He's like, you came all the way from L.A. to tell me that. <laughs> yeah. He's just so astounded that Barry would do something like that that he's just like, I don't want anything to do with this guy anymore. And so he comes back and he's looking for Lena because he left her at the hospital. The hospital staff says she was discharged. So he grabs the harmonium and runs to her like apartment and knocks on the door and kind of like explaining 
the whole like phone sex operator thing. He's completely honest with he's her. He's honest with her. And she's like, she cared more about leaving her at the. She's like, you can't do that again. Yeah. Like, don't leave me at the hospital again. Mm-hmm. And it kind of is like, that's how it ends. It kind of. It's. The, I, and I love this character arc of Barry, like, moving from having to put on a show because he's trying to mask his depression and his loneliness to and his awkwardness essentially because like there's that moment when they're at the party and he talks to uh his sister's husband and he's like uh he asks him how's work going and barry's like work is food and they're like did you say food and he's like oh i guess i did and it's like this really weird conversation i think he they're like maybe you meant to say good and i was like or he meant to say work is food because like the only way you can afford food is to maybe, work. maybe but who knows but <laughs> It's just this really, really weird conversation and like he's just an awkward dude and he like so clearly didn't want to be there and is putting on a show for people. Like, I feel like finally we have like Barry without the show because he he's found confi- someone. He's confident in himself. He is honest with himself. It's like, the, it's like the biggest change of Barry is he's honest. Yeah. Instead of making excuses for everything, and he's and it's with this person that he's finally honest, mm-hmm. and that's kind of like that's the movie. Yeah. So I mean, I absolutely Anthony love loves the movie. I didn't movie. like it. Um, it's I, I would you would you think that this is basically like would you agree with Robert? Uh, 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 e, uh is it Robert Ebert? No, Richard oh, Ebert, Ebert. Okay. Uh, Roger Ebert. Um, God, Robert. Um, would you agree with him that this is basically the same Adam Sandler character that we've seen in like his mainstream comedy movies, but just kind of like dialed down a little bit? I, w- I would say yeah. Oh, yeah. I think so. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson wrote this movie pretty much specifically for Adam Sandler. Interesting. Um, he, Paul Thomas Anderson has described himself as almost an obsessive Adam Sandler fan. Um like he's he's loved Adam Sandler and he when he said he wanted to challenge himself in his next movie to make a 90 minute movie he also wanted to challenge it into keeping it in the realm of a romantic comedy and so like when they announced Adam Sandler was cast in Paul Thomas as the lead in Paul Thomas Anderson's next movie I mean you're you're coming off of Boogie Nights you're coming off of Magnolia like these heavy drama movies people are like um adam sandler excuse me (laughs) like really adam sandler you're gonna go with him and i think pta does such a good job it was a good choice like adam sandler was the best choice sometimes sometimes certain directors can get a lot out of comedic actors like pta is able to get a lot out of like a, a very nuanced and very like detailed performance from adam sandler in this movie just as like uh i was it eternal sunshine is michael gondry i think michael gondry is able to get that nuanced performance out of jim carrey for example i love when we take traditionally comedic actors who are actors that have made their career in comedy and give them dramatic roles though i don't think this is adam sandler's best dramatic role no I and don't we'll think... get into it yes. when you have your mm-hmm. um whole thing. my sandler series yeah uh, i think there is an actual good movie yes <laughs> one yes. that i like that adam but, and, and this isn't sandler's only exploration into 
uh, the world of drama. He did uh, a couple years after this, he did Rain Over Me, which is about like a guy dealing with losing his family in 9-11. I um, think that's his best dramatic role. You think that's his best dramatic role? It's up there. I it's really, there. I really like that movie. Mm-hmm. We watched it in AP Psych. Yeah. A uh, very, very good movie. Got some Don Cheadle in there for us, too. We love the Cheadle. We do Big love the Cheadle. Cheadle heads. We're, we're Cheadle heads here. <laughs> um, and then uh, he did, oh, God, what was, uh, shoot. He did another dramatic movie. Was it Spanglish? Was that, a, that's kind of a drama. Um, and then Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems. He did Uncut Gems, which everybody was like, Sandler better get an Oscar for this. And then when, so I'll get to this more in the Uncut Gems episode, but I want to tell a Sandler story. Sandler said, if I don't get an Oscar nomination for Uncut Gems, I'm going to make the most most Sandler worst comedy movie I can make. And the result of that was Hubie Halloween, which we watched. I didn't think it was terrible. I didn't think Hubie Halloween was terrible, but Hubie Halloween, like, it knew what it was. Yeah. You know, it accepted what it was. Uh, so Sandler is such an interesting cat because he can be a good actor when he wants to be a good actor. But then he's but like... But those aren't his, like, I feel like you're... He knows what he's good at. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I can be a serious actor, but I have more fun making these movies. And he, well, he said like something like Grown Ups is basically just like a paid vacation for him and his family. And like, like that's why he does it. Like, why not do something where it's like, it's very easy for you to do? Like, mm-hmm. where drama takes more work. Yeah. And comedy, not that comedy doesn't take work, but when you're like, you're naturally funny, like Adam Sandler, it's not as hard exactly. as it would be for and a- Adam Sandler's a movie star. Every move, almost every movie that he pumped out in the mid to early to mid two thousands was a banger. It was a hit, and it made a lot of money. So for Sandler to go from that to this, um, Sandler said he was he he was unfamiliar with Paul Thomas Anderson's work when Paul Thomas Anderson said, "I got a movie for you," and then he watched Magnolia, and he oh, was like, why? and then he, Sandler said. He's like, I got nervous because he's like, I didn't know what to expect. He's like, this is the guy that did Magnolia. We're dealing with like the real deal here. This is a real time like movie maker. Um, So he was initially a little nervous, but PTA hand delivered him the script personally. And then uh, in an interview with Charlie Rose, they talked about how uh, Sandler and PTA hung out for like an entire day and just talked about how much Paul Thomas Anderson loves Adam Sandler's work. (laughs) And like they got along because PTA, you can be a, in, the, in that same. Interview, you can be a very serious dramatic director and enjoy a good oh, comedy sure. movie. Yeah, um, and PTA in that interview, the same interview said, you can like an actor's filmography, you can like their body of work, but you have to like as a, if in a director working with an actor, you have to get along because you're potentially working on this movie for years. Uh, it could be a year, it could be two years. You're going to be in close contact with these people. And I think he said that because, because of Burt Reynolds. Yeah. I think he said that because of Burt Reynolds. Nobody wants to admit it, but that that makes a lot of sense that he changed his per- direction of how to choose his actors after working with Burt Reynolds. Um, so interesting little Paul Thomas Anderson, Adam Sandler stories here and there. 
Uh, overall, Brie, did you did our conversation, our dissection of the character? I didn't totally hate it. Yeah, I just it wasn't I was thinking of maybe our it, talking it about it changed your perspective. It wasn't my cup of tea. I didn't hate it. I still think it's a good movie. Um, I know Anthony loves it, so I'm not gonna crap on it you know what i mean mm -hmm. um anthony i have to ask you does this make your list of your top 100 this is it this, this is, is the, it this is the pta movie that makes the list oftentimes i was listening to a podcast earlier and they were talking about how sometimes when a director has like a big hit of a movie their smaller movies get overshadowed and you and think this is the overshadowed i movie? think this is the underrated pta movie because after this like this is where in movies prior like boogie nights and magnolia you could tell that paul thomas anderson was trying to emulate people like martin scorsese and his filmmaking and his style of direction he was trying to emulate the people he looked up to i think this is the first movie with it's, he, it's, it's, him. it's him it's his style and it's notably his style and he shifts from these big ensemble cast movies to or I wouldn't say character was, studies. I was like, I don't think this was an ensemble movie. No. This is this is Barry was just the just star of movie. the movie. Yeah. Um and this is where he shifts from doing these ensemble movies to nuanced character studies. Because this is a character study of Barry Egan, whereas I think his next movie is There Will Be Blood, which is a character study of Daniel Day-Lewis's uh, character, whose name I can't remember right now. Um, and then the master, a character study of Joaquin Phoenix's character. And you made Bice. me watch There Will Be Blood. Or I love There Will Be Blood. We're you not made, doing it on this podcast. You made me watch it, though, right? Yes, I did. Um, See what I deal with? <laughs> Save me. Come, come rescue me. Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> You're my only hope. So I think like this is where PTA gets... He, he finds his niche in this movie and he knows what he wants and he executed it very well, I think. So this is the one that flies under the radar, I think, on his list of, of films. Dare I say, I don't know if it's his best, but... It was your favorite. It's my favorite. Yeah, it's my favorite. Which is oft oftentimes like the, the one that's the most successful or the one that wins the awards is often thought of as the best. And a movie like this, which is equally, I think, as good as There Will Be Blood in its own way, it flies under the radar. That's bit. like the conversation we had about my favorite um, Tim Burton movie. And, like, that's the one that makes my list, mm -hmm. though that's not his best work. Yeah. But to me, it's my favorite. Mm -hmm. So that's what's going to make my list. Exactly. So... Uh, yeah, this one's going on the list. This is my Paul Thomas It doesn't Anderson make my movie. list. <laughs> it, it makes sense. Um, he's, he's not your guy. He's, he's not, not your director. He's not my guy. I, and I, you know, a lot of people aren't for me. Like, I'm, I do enjoy art house movies. I just don't think that this, like this style of movie is the, for me. And like I said, I don't it, think it, dramas these are, are these are very like symbolic films. I don't think heavy dramas are like my yeah. my cup of tea. Like I I love comedies. I love science fiction. I love fantasy, but when we get into like heavy like dramas, like I'm not like that's just not where I'm at. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes uh, as much as you want to like a director, 
they're just not for you. I'm the same way with Rob Zombie. I want to like Rob Zombie so bad, but just I just can. can't. I just can't. I can't. Uh, I want to like Michael Bay so bad. I just can't do it. Like, it just doesn't work for me. But I can see how that can be, like, your situation with PTA. I Like, I want to. I wanted. I went into this movie and I wanted to like it because you told me do, I was going to like it. Do you think this was... Out of the three that we've watched, it's the so best far. one out of the three you, we've watched. The one that you like the most, yes, because even though I did enjoy Boogie Nights, I felt like it was too long. Yes, this one was the perfect amount of time where I was not bored. Yeah, um, and then our fourth movie, our last in the PTA series, we're going to skip around a little bit. Uh, we are not going to cover There Will Be Blood. We are not going to cover The Master. We are not going to cover Inherent Vice. We are not going to cover The Phantom Thread. However. We are going to cover his most recent film that's come out. Uh, neither of us have seen it before, so this is not necessarily a review. This as is much a first as, view. This is a first view. But we've both want we've both expressed interest in wanting to watch it. But we have to address what when we do, yeah. do the podcast, we'll address the issues with the movie. There are a few we, issues that have come um, up about the movie, but uh, we are going to cover Paul Thomas Anderson's most recent film, uh, Academy Award. I don't know if it Nominee? won anything, but it definitely got nominated. Academy Award nominated film, Licorice Pizza, uh, uh, starring Philip Seymour Hoffman's son and, and one of the Himes. And one of the Heim sisters. Yes. <laughs> A Heim. A Heim. Singular. <laughs> so, uh, Brie, does, it does not make your list, but uh, hopefully, you know, we have shown a little bit I'm more of an appreciation. For, I'm excited for Licorice Pizza. Me too. Because we, I've heard great things about it. Mm -hmm. um, there is some issues with it, which we will address before we begin our dissection in the podcast. Um, because I feel like whenever there's issues brought to light about issues a movie may have, social issues, I, ha I feel like I have to address them. Yeah. Because it's, Im it's important to address those issues with movies that you watch. You know, I agree. like you can enjoy a movie, but you have to, ex you have to acknowledge like disclaimer, like, you know, it, this does it, have this. It hurts it. a marginalized community. Yeah, exactly. So Punch Drunk Love, uh, Brie. It doesn't get up. It gets a. Mm. Okay. That's I, I listen. You're a tough critic. I man. am. You're I, a tough critic. So it had no dinosaurs. It not <laughs> dinosaurs in it. Um, it does get a mmm because it did not have a penis in it. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Thank you, PTA. I did, did not want Did it. Magnolia have one of those? I'm not sure. I don't think they so. They had weird frogs, though. E equally as disturbing. Equally as disturbing. <laughs> so uh, I think that's where we're going to end it, Bree. Uh, you you want to talk about our socials? Um, you can... Uh, follow us on Instagram at review underscore pod. You can reach out to us at our email. Anthony knows that. Reviewpodcast1 at gmail.com. And you can follow Anthony on Twitter. At GLDTV1. And if you want to get a hold of me, you need to throw a dart exactly to... in the center of a dartboard and then expect to hear from me in um, six to eight business weeks. Or, <laughs> or you can um, collect a bunch of healthy Healthy choice. choice. The teriyaki puddings, chickens. The teriyaki chickens. You can earn your frequent flyer miles. And then use them to come visit me. Use that. Yeah, exactly. In six to eight weeks. Yes. So. Business uh, weeks. That's going to be it for us. We will be back next week with. A Tim movie. Burton's <laughs> Sweeney Todd. Oh, yes. The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. I can't wait. Um, This is like. I've never seen it. 
You've never seen it? I've never seen it. Oh my gosh, he's in for a treat. Yeah, I've never seen it. It's on my... I, the only reason I know that song, the, the intro, like Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street, is because of the Office episode where Andy does Sweeney Todd. The worst pies in London. <laughs> <laughs> that means nothing to me right now. Uh, <laughs> they make the worst pies in London. Um, oh. That she acknowledges, I, I gathered. <laughs> she acknowledges her pies are shite. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I'm excited because this is like... a. A trip into like more musical like beetlejuice is musical a little bit a little bit but this is where it's all music like this is a musical this is a musical yeah so i'm excited to get into it right um good so we'll be back with uh sweeney todd next week and that's gonna be it for us so brie uh just tell me that's that and we'll be done um this is brianna signing off that's that and I'm Anthony. That's that. We'll be back next week. I want to say the last word. Hi. <laughs>